Ben here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Go Be More podcast. At Go Be More, our mission is simple. We want you to chase your dreams. Our apparel is designed to be a constant reminder of your commitment. And this podcast aims to give you the motivation and mindset to get started and keep going. In this episode, John tells the complete story of his experience with chronic kidney disease. John was officially diagnosed 12 years ago and has not fully shared his unique experience all in one place. We decided to start telling that story here. At the peak of his fitness just prior to the 2008 Olympic trials, John received the diagnosis that he was halfway to kidney failure. He had FSGS, an incurable and terminal kidney disease. In 2011, John underwent an experimental stem cell surgery. To our knowledge, he is still the only person in the world who's ever had this procedure. And it appears to have worked. John is now ready to be an advocate for kidney disease research and to share his story. We hope this episode inspires you to learn more about kidney disease and to get yourself tested. One other note, we recorded our episode about a month ago, and John was just on the Clean Sport Co. podcast, where he discussed the emotional effects of his experience. Links to that episode will be in the show notes. Alright, on to the episode. Hey John, how you doing? It has been a while, my friend. <laughs> yeah, well, today's... Uh, <laughs> Rainy day here in Japan. It's coming down. It's a rainy season, so I got a few more weeks of it probably, but uh, I can't really complain. It's it's just water. It's probably good every once in a while, the, the cleansing. I I always feel like rain's cool because I feel like it's like a reset, you know? And it also kind of mm. is like a nice excuse to like sometimes not have to get out and do stuff, like especially if you could do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, it's raining, so uh, can't, I, can't, <laughs> I, I, probably should, I probably should just stay inside, you know? <laughs> So I, I don't think yeah. of it. I don't think of it this way here. But when I was living in LA, it didn't rain that much, and I loved the rain because the day after the rain, the skies were so blue. It was really pretty. It was all. It just felt so clean because LA could sometimes have, you know, smoggy weather oh, or yeah. just sort of you know dirty air, brownish kind of haze or something. And and sometimes you'd go for a a run up in up in the hills, Malibu Canyon or or Topanga Canyon, one of these areas. You get up to one of the top of the hills the day after it's rained. And it was beautiful. LA is amazing after the day after it rains. Oh yeah! If it's been if it's been a couple of weeks, uh, you might get up on top of one of those hills and be like, "Where's LA?" Because <laughs> it's just like it's a smog city. <laughs> a brown haze, right? yeah, oh, smog city. Gosh. But um, now here, the rainy season is just you know it's um it's a few weeks. The city I live in is not nearly the worst. Other places get more rain than here, but it's more of a kind of persistent grayness. You know, you get you get your sunny days and they'll come and go, but I think from the cycle of agriculture and stuff, it's kind of necessary, you know, rice and all these other different, different, the crops and different stuff. It's, it's a, it plays a necessary role in a lot of what goes on. So it's definitely not a negative thing. It's just one of those, it's one of those, you know, some days you wake up and you look outside and you go, uh, you know, especially like, do I want to go running? If it's a, if it's a day, I don't run every day now, but I run kind of every other day. And when I look at the weather, I go, I look out and it's like, oh, oh, I hope later is better because I want to run today, but I don't really want to run in this, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know what What has helped me with that? Because, it's, I mean, I live in Southern California, so it's not like I have a lot of rainy days to, to really worry about. But, you know, we're always looking for an excuse, right? I think that's kind of the, yeah. one of the challenges that, that life brings because we're just usually typically really overwhelmed with other stuff. And so when we think about doing things to take care of our health, like go for a run every day, or every other day, or, you know, maintain a uh, consistency in a, in a health routine, any excuse 
becomes like a possible excuse for you to like, oh, it's, yeah, yeah. hey, you know, because yeah. this or that. Even if it's super lame, if is an opportunity for an excuse to be used, and you could, you could at least somewhat um, justify, justify it, it yeah. <laughs> you're going to grab hold of it. You know, that's just the way the yeah, mind works. Yeah. And I, I, it's funny that like the just one challenge is uh, this thing that we we talk about with doing one push up a day or, you know, whatever, right? And I actually, my friend up in Canada, Mark Furlong, has decided to use the Just One Challenge since June 28th, so just recently, uh, of mm-hmm. 2020, uh, June 28th, 2020 is his birthday. And he said, starting on my birthday, and he did this like a day or two before through his Instagram. So then I follow him and I, was, and I saw it and he's like, yeah, I'm going to start my Just One, 365 day Just One Challenge of running one mile a day every day for the next three, for the next 365 days starting on my birthday. And I saw it and All I right. said, Mark, I'm going to join you. I'm not going to miss okay. a day. So we've been doing it for six days now. This is like day five or six. Um, yeah. yeah, six days. And so, I, but I'm actually running two miles a day because, well, I'm like, I'm only running a mile. I might as well run two. And, <laughs> yeah. and that's kind of how the Just One Challenge tricks you into really doing more, which is a good thing. Well, the, um, that one so, yeah. becomes your minimum, right? We talked about this on the other episode. Yeah. You set your minimum. And that one mile is what? It could be, it doesn't matter how fast well, it is, but once you get out there, it's like, ah, I can keep going. I feel fine. Mark's, <laughs> Mark's, Mark's, Mark's hitting some like seven, seven minute, 730 miles or whatever, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I don't know what I'm hitting, but you know, I put in 20 minutes. So I'm like, well, I'm getting at least a mile, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly fit. My goal is still to get fit enough to run a competitive marathon, you know, at some point in the near future and, you know, see where it takes me as far as. 2021 goes as far as the Olympics. The reality is, I don't know if it's going to work out or not, but I'm super open to the possibility of it. And I said, but I need to get started. And I just have this different approach. And I just feel like everybody's path to whatever they're trying to do is different. Mine is definitely going to be atypical. It's just not going to be what I, how I get there. If I get there in terms of the goal I have for what I ultimately like to see my running go, I guarantee you it's not going to look like everybody else. And when I, when I pull off the stuff that I believe I could do, People are going to be like, that's impossible, which is fine, but it's starting with just one mile a day or two miles a day, yep. you know, and I, and this just one challenge is actually going to be the thing I truly believe is going to get me to stay consistent. And, and I find every single day over the last six days, how I feel about my, my bigger goals, they feel so less intimidating and distracting or stressful because I'm like, well, at least I've started. Because I have to do at least yep. one step, one mile, yeah, that's true. if I want to do all that other stuff. So, and if I do this, then I, I, there's no way I could do that. So that doesn't really matter to me because this is actually just as important as anything else I'm going to do because it's getting me started and it's making it easy for me to be consistent in terms of just getting out the door, which leaves the room for the possibility of anything and everything else to actually happen that needs to happen for me to, to achieve bigger goals. So the rain, it rained the other day and I said, oh, but Mark's doing it. Yeah, He's doing yeah, it. And I'm like, well, right. it's only one. Right. I said, well, my minimum's only one mile. I could, I could give it, I could commit to 10 minutes. Yeah. And I could turn around and come home. I'm like, cool. I could do it. So now I, I'm like, I don't think I can ever miss a day. Cause I'm like, it's only 10 minutes. Are you kidding me? You know? Yeah. That's right. So it's powerful. Right. So that rain is no excuse, young man. <laughs> that's right. No, it is no excuse. I have gone on a lot of runs in the rain 
simply because I've made the, the minimal commitment to do what my routine is. And if it's raining, that's fine. I've made the commitment and, and you know, you can put on a jacket. You can, you can wear, you can get your shoes wet. Like, yeah. It's fine. It's a, uh, it's not like I've never run in the rain before. I think actually, to be perfectly honest, I like running in the rain because one of the things that running in the rain does is it takes my mind off of stuff that I always, I mean, this is the, 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 the challenge for anybody who used to be a good runner is you think so much in terms of times and pace and, and how fast am I doing? Or what am I, what am I working on? How, is it a good run? Like whatever. I, I can get sucked into that really quickly, but I find when it's raining, like I, I'm more just thinking about, dang, I'm wet. Like I'm not really thinking about how fast I'm running or is it, is it a good run or not? It's just like, no, I'm getting the run in. And the fact that it's raining means that I am a champion because I'll, I'll, you see way fewer people out there running in the rain than you do when it's a nice sunny day, you know? Yeah. So I, uh, I don't want to go too far down this, but the interesting thing is you propose this topic to me and we always do our initial our initial chat where I start off the conversation and who knows where it goes and we're talking about obstacles and excuses and I don't know John I feel like there's a natural tie in to this to this topic today which oh, is Oh gosh that which is, that well that's nice that works well, it, this is you know we want to talk about your experience being diagnosed with kidney disease yeah and and so in many respects you're going to drive this podcast because the whole point of this is, is we want to try to tell your story and I will do my best to ask good questions and try to draw out like some of these things that, that I think are important about it. But at the same time, it's funny because one of the things about your chronic kidney disease diagnosis is that I think at various times in your life, it has played more or less of a res- of a role uh, as an excuse or a justification for what you're doing. It's sort of, in some ways, inspired you to do big things, and it's held you back in some other ways. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this is one of those threads that I think I, I, I'm just preparing you. I'm going to pu- probably pull on a little bit as we try to tell the story. Sure. So if you're okay to go into this, I'm, I you know, I guess you should tell me where do you think it really starts. Your your chronic your chronic kidney disease because I know there's the diagnosis, but uh, is that where you think is the right place to start with talking about this? No, because I mean there is so much that I don't understand about my diagnosis, and yet there's a lot that I understand about it. But like where where okay. it really started in terms of like how much of it, how much was this how long did have I had the disease or more importantly or I guess more poignantly. When did it start affecting me, uh, you know, my health? Uh, uh, you know, that's the really interesting thing to me is that there, there isn't really any uh, official answer to that in terms of like, uh, some official diagnosis. But I remember, I'll start from the beginning. I remember when I was a kid and I would have what, what I would term, and I should probably really research like what's the proper terminology to, to, to describe what I experienced when I was a kid but I would have these things called like I would call them like energy spells where I where I would lose all my energy like mm. I remember and this is what I remember so I was a kid I was really really small when I would remember this but there was times when I would just like completely lose all my energy and I would just be like done I so can't even move is that a is that a symptom of chronic kidney I, I think is fatigue that a normal... is a symptom of it. Whether or not this okay. is a symptom, whether or not this is directly related to it, I don't know. But I'll just tell you, this is something that being fatigued and being tired, I was talking to recently, uh, you know, a couple of different, um, uh, fellow kidney disease, you know, fellow people, people with, you know, survivors, kidney yeah. disease survivors. Yeah. And, 
And, and, and I was describing that to them and saying, like, I don't understand it, but I remember even, um, throughout my running career being more tired than usual. And I'm like, yeah, I know I'm running like 50, 60 miles a week. I know that I'm cranking out some crazy workouts every other day and lifting and doing all sorts of stuff. But I'm like, man, I'm, I feel way more tired than I should in certain ways. Like the tired, the tired that I was feeling, I know did not feel like the tired I should be feeling as it relates to like working out. It was like a different kind of tired. Okay. So uh, now, the only thing I want to say about when I was younger as it relates to my kidney disease, and then we'll fast forward to when there, there was the first indication of something wrong with my kidneys officially, which was at 17. Um, when I was a kid, I had these energy spells. I remember like this, this, uh, you know, not, uh, not being able to move. And my dad would have to like pick me up and move me. Hmm. And, and I would be like this, sitting in a bed or, 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 or just not moving in my house, you know, and my parents just, you know, I think we went to the doctors at one point and asked about it. I think maybe it was given some medicine. I don't know for sure. Or some prescription. You were diagnosed with extreme laziness? Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Oh yeah. He's really sick. Every time I give yeah. him chores, he seems to have an energy spell. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it hits him every time. Every time he yeah, has to do homework, I don't weird, understand it, doctor. There's a weird correlation between chores and this energy spell popping up. Um, but so, the, so there was this thing of like being tired all the time, and, and this is something I've I experienced a lot throughout my entire life. I would just be like, man, I like I I just felt like I was more prone to being tired. You know, like there's just this weird thing. It was, it was an odd thing. It was odd enough to where I was like, oh, I wasn't, I'm not just tired. I'm like, this is a weird tire. Like, yeah. I don't know. Hopefully anybody listening that has kidney disease can talk about this or, 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 or share some comments about it. Um, so growing you, up, you mentioned 17 years old, yeah. 17 years old is the first clear indication. You had this history being kind of unnatural fatigue, but, but we don't know if it's tired. Right. At don't really know. You got some sort of an indication. Like, what was that? Yeah, so so I became a runner when I was 14. My high school running career is pretty good. Uh ended up running like a 410, 409 mile in, in high school, which is pretty fast for a high school kid uh, in general. And uh, I was being recruited in my senior year by some universities. And one particularly was the Naval Academy in Annapolis, which is huge honor. I mean, it's unbelievable to you know, have a chance to even go to, it's a, honestly, arguably uh, one of the most prestigious institutions in general to be a yep. part of and to go to Absolutely. and it's extremely hard to get in academically and athletically you know uh, you have to go through a tremendous amount of physicals you gotta get recommendations from your you know you know state congressmen and senators psychology to, tests all sorts of stuff all, like everything that, yeah. you think of you like like the equivalent of like the sats is they have like a like, this is like a physical examination uh, a thorough examination of you as a physical mm -hmm. physically you have to pass all this stuff you know and so that was that was when because of that process i was like interested in going my dad served in the navy for 15 years uh we grew up in san diego okay. yeah you know you know his, his coronados obviously were the naval bases down there and yeah so i was i was you know, I was really interested in going to the Naval Academy because my dad served and it seemed like a really smart decision, life decision in a lot of ways. And of course, it's the Naval Academy. You know, you go there, you're set for life. I mean, you're going to you're never going to need anything after that. Like the, you're going to be pretty well set up if you just show up and do the work, you know, and I was yep. like, yeah, I'm interested. 
And I got, I would get to run for the track and cross country team. And being an athlete, there's obviously way different than just being a cadet, you know? So anyways, I went through the physical stuff, did all the stuff. For the most part, my SAT scores are good enough. My grades are super good enough. My background was great. Great. I qual, I was obviously being recruited. So athletically it was good. Passed all the physical stuff except for one part. My urine test came back crazy weird. They're like, what? You have all these like, Forgive me, guys. I don't really understand the information, so I'm going to use some stuff. But the thing, but I yep. may, may, I may misstate it, so we'll make corrections um, after the fact, uh, show notes okay. and whatever. But that's right. So I believe the thing that the, 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 that was showing up at ex- extremely high. They're like, even for a seventy year old, they're like, this is like as if you're an old man. Like the numbers that was showing up was the amount of protein that was showing up in my urine. So that's one mm-hmm. major indication that there's something wrong with your kidneys. Uh, is protein spilling into your urine because that means that there's probably some scarring or, 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 or something going on with your kidneys where the, 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 the filter, where the, where for some reason the, the protein spilling out into your urine, which shouldn't be happening, at least not in the numbers yeah, it that it was. should be filtered out, should be retained. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so my, I think it was like, it's called like albumin, a specific type of protein or something like that was actually super high and it was high enough to where they're like, Mm, we need we need to know it's what this is, sense. otherwise you're not going to pass the physical. Like we can't mm-hmm. pass you, you know. And so they had me stop running because they thought maybe it's because of the physical jarring and whatever, and it's just making you know the numbers higher than usual. Um, which I don't know. I mean, I'm sure if they compared it to other people, that's probably not really accurate. But they just wanted the, maybe that. But that was one of their conclusions, which shows you how so much they, they asked didn't you to know. Stop training to stop running. Yeah, for a month for... in the middle of my cross country season, which was super crazy because. I, I was yeah, actually really one of the rough, favorites right? to win the state championship. And I was like, Oh my God, really? So I, I yeah. didn't get to do anything. And it's a great story to tell about how, what I did once I got to start running at three weeks to prepare for the fall season or for the playoffs or postseason. And I did some crazy stuff, but boy, I ended up pulling off a pretty, almost winning the state championships, even after having taken off a month, uh, the season. Um, but anyways, so I went through the, they had me take the time off. They did a couple of, 24 hour year analysis test where they're just, you're peeing into this giant thing and that's all. So they're collecting this full cycle of urine processing through your body and to really get a thorough ex- idea of what, what's really going on. And the numbers were still the same. You know, they're like, mm, this is crazy. But after a month of testing, they're just like, well, it's, that it's not any, it's not any better than it was. And, and, and it was, it was the numbers were this when you were running. So because it didn't go down and, Obviously, it is what it is when you're working out. They kind of just said it's a wash. They're like, well, it seems like this is just your numbers. That's how they basically moved on because they passed right, me. Right. So I think that was what their conclusion was. It was benign. So um, is that the right word? Benign or malignant? Yeah, benign. benign. It's, yeah, there's no, it's okay. no issue. No, no, no. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, okay, yeah. so it was considered benign. And so, um, so uh, that was it. So... I ended up not going to the Naval Academy. I went to UCLA, just so y'all know. But thankfully, because of that, I have a marker. Officially, there was something that yeah. was indicative of something wrong with my kidneys at that point in my life. 17 years old, 1999. Okay? Yep. So that gives you okay. a little bit of point of reference. That was the first time I heard anything. I think my numbers were like somewhere in like the 300s or something like that. For album count. Something like your, that. Something like that. Yeah. Yep. So we'll... we'll I'll, I have all my medical records. I'll have to double check and look at these numbers again. I don't really know how to read them or really talk about them. Just so you all know, this is, I'm telling you my story because this is where I'm at for a reason. So 
I didn't hear anything about my kidney disease or think about it or really, you know, know anything about what was going on after that. Like I never gave it a second thought, you know, uh, my parents didn't really think about it. I didn't think about it. We trusted the doctors. If they were, they weren't worried. We weren't worried. So I moved on, have my career at UCLA, go to do what I'm doing, graduate, turn pro as a runner and start doing my thing as a professional runner uh, under a contract with Nike and ended up moving to the Olympic Training Center in San Diego uh, to prepare for the 2008 Olympic trials, which was going to be my first Olympic trials for the United States Olympic team. And then a month out from the Olympic trials, I... It's got to be around May, right? Something like that? Yeah, it's like May. May yeah, it's, it's at least it was probably around May. It was pretty close to when the trials are going to be. They get, had everybody go through physicals, all the athletes preparing for the trials, uh, primarily in track and field, but some other sports as well um, that, were the, that live and reside at the Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista, California. Um, yep. Everybody goes through their physical. Man, I'm in great shape. I feel good. I mean, I had some nagging, like, issues so as issues and stuff like that pain in my like groin lower abdomen area that was the only thing that i had going on that was pretty bad that i was working on uh, with even a trainer outside of the olympic training center i was going to extreme extent just to really fix this one thing that was going on with my psoas like which is like right around the groin lower area muscles right yeah yeah it was yeah exactly so other than that i was training great feeling great, you know, doing really well. And I was ready to go. And I was one of the favorites to make the, the team. And I was, I mean, arguably the greatest shape of my life at that point in my career. And so, you know, you go through the physical, you're like, I think to myself, oh, it's all good. Nothing good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's going to go in. Yeah, you pass and move on, right? Uh, everybody's doing their thing, going into a, a, one of the rooms, you know, where you just meet up and have your private conversations, your medical conversations about your stuff with your trainer. So I go into, everybody's going into these different rooms, uh, one of the three rooms in, in the back and they meet with the trainer and just get the, get the, okay, your pass, good to go. I go in for mine and, and, and there's only supposed to be one person in the room. Right. I walk the in, I walk into the yeah. room and it's full of people. Hmm. That's, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. I said, I don't right. think I need all, I mean, did I pass the flying colors or something? I mean, like, what? I mean, I, the, you broke some records here, John. Yeah. You find out that uh, I'm Superman? I mean, what's going on? Yeah. Um, so I walk into the room. I see everybody in the room. I'm like, well, this is not good. And uh, the right. head trainer uh, is Stacy, uh, awesome woman. Uh, she was like, I guess she drew the short end of the stick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or the, or the short straw or something. And she had to tell me, you know, she said, look, your urine came back abnormal. So it's again, the urine test. And she said that, uh, the numbers indicate that as of today, you're halfway towards kidney failure. Mm. I'm like, what? I don't understand. Like, I feel great. There's nothing. I don't feel I, to me. I, I, however, I felt was normal. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, you know? And so, uh, they said, look, the numbers are bad. We need to, um, do some more tests and, uh, see what we can find out. Um, it's, it, they're bad enough to where we can't ignore this. And they felt 
obligated. Like they feel like they, I think they felt like there was a high level of responsibility that they had to make sure that everything that they could do was done because they were they were aware. And if they weren't doing it, I think that that could be probably a liability. Uh, but I think that the, the people there were so great as well that there was such a strong bond and relationship amongst the athletes and the trainers and the support staff at the Living Trainer Center. It's like a family, man. I think that they were like not only, I think, medically obligated, but I think that yeah. there was a lot of love and concern there. And I, I think they really wanted to fight, figure out what the heck's going on. Um, yep. and, and there's another side story, though, which is crazy because one of the head chefs there named Moses, um, he, bef- a year before this, went through kidney failure, dialysis, and then a kidney transplant. And I wanted to, a year before I knew, before I was going through what I was starting to go through with my kidneys, mm-hmm. I he was telling me, he, he became one of, I mean, I loved everybody there, all the chefs, everybody was so great at the training center. It's such a great experience living there for two and a half years. But Moses and I developed a really good, <clears throat> close relationship while I was living there. And when Moses was going through his kidney stuff, I was like, it's funny because a year later, I'm now preparing to possibly go through what he went through. But in 2007, I was talking to Moses and, and he was telling me like, man, I can't find a donor. And this is who knows how long it's going to take. And, you know, I could see he was changing. He was looked tired. It looked like. You know, he's dis- discolored. He looked different, you know, and, 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 but he yeah. had a good attitude and he showed when he can come to work, he was at work and he was obviously he's a great chef and he's just a good man, you know, and he's his of Hispanic, uh, descent. He's, you know, um, I think he may have been from Mexico or something. And so mm-hmm. just using that as context, like different ethnicity, but he was a minority as well, like me. And I think it is somewhat prevalent, this, you know, kidney disease amongst minorities. So that's why I want to share his ethnicity but i loved moses man i cared about him i felt so strongly about helping him and this is partly who i am so it's just the way that i am but when i'm compelled to do something i don't hesitate i was like moses i'm going to get tested i'm going to see if i could be if if i have a match i'm going to give you one of my kidneys this is a year before the olympic trials and the olympic Mm -hmm. games and i said i'll find a way to make it work i said i can't let this man struggle and go through this and possibly die from this i'm like there's no way i just couldn't do it i was compelled to find out and go through and i went through the testing and i and i went through the they they they, they, they you know they you know make you watch these videos and and know that like this is a big commitment obviously you're going through surgery you're giving up a kidney all this stuff but it was right. worth it i said if i'm a match moses you're getting one of my kidneys and Moses is just like, oh my gosh, no way. And so I went through the process. Unfortunately, I wasn't a match or maybe fortunately yeah. because it probably would have been, even if I was a match, it probably would have been a bad kidney. I don't know. Right. Maybe it would have been a super yeah, kidney right. because my story has a twist. Uh, right. So, um, year later, I'm finding out my kidneys are, I'm halfway towards kidney failure. I go through the year analysis test. All bad. Numbers are bad. I mean, I think the numbers are like in the 3000s at that point. So oh. it definitely had progressed since the last time I saw the numbers as far as protein in my urine. Um, I think there were other numbers as well. Got to double check. Again, guys, forgive me. I don't fully understand the num- you know, how to talk about the numbers, but educate me. Let's talk. Um, but it was bad, right? And so the urinalysis kept coming back. I think they may have even done some blood tests. Maybe. I don't know if that would have helped or not, but... Long story short, the test they were doing that was not minimally invasive wasn't sufficient. They're like, the numbers are bad. It's not telling us, it's not going to tell us anything. It would just know that something's wrong, really wrong. 
we need to do a biopsy. I said, no. Not till after the Olympic mm-hmm. Games. Y'all gonna have to wait till like at least September, uh, October. Okay. When my season's over, we'll, 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 we'll go back and we'll look at the stuff. But I'm like, nah. So just so y'all know, put it into context, I'm not saying I'm Superman or that I'm special, but I basically had to go into the Olympic trials having been told that I'm halfway towards kidney failure. Oh yeah. Can and I, I got to try to make the Olympic team. You know what I mean? My first Olympic team. I, I want to ask you this because I think this is a pretty unique situation in that on one hand, you had no prior to them telling you you had a problem. You had no physical indication. Like it wasn't that you were dragging and you were fatigued and you went in and said, I don't understand why I'm so fatigued. And then they came to you with a diagnosis to explain a symptom. Like you went in symptom free in, in your mind and then we're told, hey, you got this big problem, but it's kind of a hidden, it's an invisible problem for you, right? Like you mm-hmm. can't, you can't sense it. Um, were you able to sort of just put it aside at that time and say, well, you know what? Like, I don't feel anything. I don't, I don't sense this. So, so whether it exists or not, like, I don't know. And, and, and stay focused on the training or did you feel that, that it caused a interruption in, or, or it disrupted what you were doing at that time? It didn't because I didn't understand what it was. And because I didn't physically yeah. feel anything, I didn't have to buy into, oh no, that's what, that's, that's what's causing this. Or that's what's going yeah, on. Right, right. If I, if I was feeling something like clearly physical, again, the psoas thing was like, I'm like, uh, you know, that was, I mean, it was unbelievably painful and it was, uh, you know, eh, I won't, I'm not going to give any excuses. It was definitely something that I felt, but that was nothing to do with the kidney disease stuff to my knowledge. Right. Understanding. Just- so I didn't buy into it. Not one, but not for one second, not at that moment. I was like, I have something to do. And that is one of the things that you do develop as, uh, uh, an athlete is the ability to just sh- shut things out, you know, and to compartmentalize. Yeah. And I got really good at compartmentalization where I just would just put things in his box. When I'm running, when I'm training, when I'm racing, I'm only there. That's the only thing that matters. Not, 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 nothing else, you know? So mm-hmm. uh, now nah, I was, I was in it a hundred percent and it didn't bother me, thankfully, in terms of good. that news. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, I don't know how, what I would have done in that situation, but I can imagine. I probably as a defense mechanism or something for myself, I would have said, well, I don't feel it and it's not a hundred percent confirmed. So I'm going to assume it's not there, right? Like that kind of, I'm going to assume yeah. this is a abnormality in the test and, and try to do that. But I don't really know. I'm making it, I'm making that feeling up right now as a, as a trying to put myself in your place, right? Like how, right. how it would have, how I would have experienced it. But so you, you, you have no symptoms, you have no, no major thing. You get told, and you decide to go through the, the, the Olympic trials. Um, I think the Olympic trials is a different topic. I don't, I don't, I don't think we should go into like exactly how the experience goes, unless you felt that the kidney disease had a, played a role in your performance there. No, I mean, of course that's, it's just inspiring. I think for the, um, for those who have kidney disease, this is dedicated to anybody that has kidney disease. Sure. And it's for important for those who don't, who don't know about kidney disease to understand that the disease that I have, as a positive, we didn't say it in the beginning. It's, it's called FSGS, focal sigmatoglomerulosclerosis. I think I did a pretty good job saying that. Uh, it's basically, <laughs> yeah, it's... it's a scarring of the, of your kidneys tissues, uh, that over time, it, the scarring leads to uh, a decrease in kidney function, which ultimately, uh, leads to uh, kidney failure, the need for dialysis, and then a need for a transplant. 
terrible, yeah. terrible, terrible uh, a disease. It's considered terminal only because if you don't get the proper types of treatments, it can kill you. There is no real known I'll, cure. Uh, there is no real known I'll cure. I'll put the show notes for people who want to look it up. We'll put the links to you know to the FSGS in there so that like you know. There's a lot of good documentation on it. I've learned about it since I've got to know you. But you're right. It is a terminal disease because there's only one. There's no effective cure. There is no cure. There's, there's only there's, a, there's only there's prolonging of 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 the problem. You know, there's ways to kind of right. avoid the, the 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 only outcome if you don't do these things. You know, which is drugs, changing your diet, um, dialysis, and kidney transplant, and and so. Yep. Um, it's a cha- it's a very challenging life to navigate. Uh, so yeah, so no, it didn't bother me going into the trials. The trials is important to talk about something because, you know, I did have it, and I was diagnosed with. I, I wasn't diagnosed yeah. with it, but I was I was told that I had I was having towards kidney failure. Regardless of how I handled it, it was there. I was told the news and I think that for anybody that's told this news or that's told something like this, for the most part, like when it really hit me was after I was officially diagnosed with the disease in 2000, at the end of 2008 in December, after I actually went through my biopsy and got the results because I did go through a biopsy. But it's important because most people, when they find out something's wrong, they do get the information a lot sooner than I did. I kind of prolonged it. I probably would have known pretty quickly what was yeah. going on if had I just, just gone through and gotten a biopsy. Uh, the other reason it's important is is I think it puts in context actually how fit you were when you got diagnosed. Because mm-hmm. people probably don't understand. Um, it's one thing to be an Olympic caliber athlete. But I would say, let's just make a, make up a number. You were in, out of billions of people, you were in the top few hundred people in terms of the most fit people in the world absolutely right? like this yeah. is you were you were at the upper 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 echelon of how physically fit a human being can be and yet you were still diagnosed with fsgs like yeah. the, it, it was still there right yep. it didn't it doesn't have a correlation on, on to just making good life decisions about your diet or your fitness it's it can hit anybody right and that's what i take one of the things i take from it is is like it you could be pro. There are pro basketball players who've had it. There yeah, are, Alonzo, Alonzo Morning, Sean Elliott. I mean, Nick Cannon, yeah. the celebrity. Um, he's an amazing um, person. Nick Cannon. He went to my high school. Funny enough, he has. He's had some form of kidney disease. I mean, there's a, George Lopez, the comedian, has all kinds of people, all kinds of backgrounds. It's it's out there for sure. But yeah, that's a crazy thing to think. Like, there was probably only like. Maybe 20 people in the world yeah. that could run faster than me in a mile. Yeah. Maybe. Yep. Probably even less than that. Probably only 15. And so that's crazy, you know, and, 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 and that, and the beat is that fit to be able to run that fast to be that fit. Um, that's craziness. That's just craziness. And then I'm being told I'm halfway towards kidney failure. And honestly, I mean, the fact that I was so fit, this is something to, to know is that. Yeah, this is how important being physically fit really is. I was, I probably would have ended up on dialysis and in need of a kidney transplant had I not been an athlete. I don't, mm-hmm. I honestly don't doubt it. I honestly don't doubt it. I think that the fact that, um, I was where I was, guys, remember 1999, 
it was pretty bad, and it scared the doctors to, to look into it then. 1999, eight, eight, nine years later, nine years yeah. later, almost a decade later, my disease still had progressed to the point where I was halfway towards kidney failure, and yet it was still not slowing me down to the point where I wasn't doing things that were, technically speaking, almost inhuman, yeah. you know, or at least considered superhuman. So, yeah, I mean, I went to the Olympic trials. I made the team as an alternate. And I had a, a pretty great summer, actually. I won some major races in Europe. You know, I beat a lot of the people that were in the Olympic Games. Um, I ran some of the fastest times in the world that summer. And then I went on to get my, di- uh, my, my biopsy in November and then be diagnosed mm-hmm. officially in December, you know. And that changed everything for me. That changed How did everything. it change everything? Uh, well, the thing that was tough for me about it, and this is where I think my story for me, it, it's hard to talk about, and 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 I don't know. I guess t- it's 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 hard to justify like what I didn't do. Because I just didn't understand it, but it still feels kind of messed up. Like I didn't do much with the information when I was diagnosed, but I was thoroughly mm. confused. I think I spent about two years uh, in a state of denial and confusion. Um, because when I actually was phys- phys- officially diagnosed, yeah, throw compartmentalization out the window. I was like, whoa, like what is FSGS? It's a terminal disease. You are, you could die from it. Uh, it's going to progress. There's no cure. Like when I started, when I heard all that stuff, hard to ignore that, but I didn't know what to do with it. I was 26. I was in, in the beginning of my career. It was in the middle of my, at the, at the, at the beginning of my prime, you know, probably had a good, another good 10 years of racing. Um, if not more, if I'd done the right things, you know, health wise, um, as far as a professional running career, that pretty much died when I was officially diagnosed. I, my career, for the most part, began a da- the downward, not spiral, but just like a downward trend. It was it, I was yeah. never the same after that diagnosis, which is very frustrating, very heartbreaking, because I feel like I made the wrong, I bought into the wrong, I went, I, you know, it's like you had a path mentally and you could choose two roads. I'm going to fight yeah. and I'm going to beat it. And I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. Or I, what I did, which was just like, I'm going to lay down and die for a while. And that's well, kind of what I did emotionally. It was just like, it just, it was just boom, shift. And that's where yeah. I went. And I was like, ah, oh, I wish I could go back and tell that guy like, dude, you don't have to do that. Like you could, you, you, I don't know. It's hard to talk about it because it's, it's no, actually really so hard is- because I feel like it was my, running career and my legacy was stolen from me. So this is where I, I think it ties in to, I mean, the the beginning where we were talking about, it's, it's so easy for little things to become excuses for why you're not doing what you want to do or what you know you should do. Yeah. And then what happens when a big thing, like this is, this is about as big as you can get. <laughs> and I can't think of much bigger to be told that, and and dealing with that is not easy. And, you know, what I wish for that time period is that I wish that we had still been in better connection at that time. And if not me, somebody else who who would have been able to sort of 
uh, help you keep the right direction and focus in, in what you're thinking about and, and what you're doing. I wish that, um, I wish a lot of things had been different. Of course, we can't really change it. This is the challenge. I, I, I don't, I don't really want to go down exactly this path, but I do think that the decisions you made at that time, uh, they seem very clearly very influenced by this, uh, like you know what it did and to me it, it shifted it shifted not only your focus because now all of a sudden you were you were focused on something very different which is your your mortality but it also shifted your priorities right you i think at that time <laughs> running clearly lost a little bit of its this is the most important thing in my life quality exactly and i don't i mean That's i don't know you exactly can, you can explain that if yeah so, th- so maybe you can explain that to me like how that shift how that change happened for you in in the best way you understand it so i ended up turning down a nike contract you know i i ended up trying to make some stupid decisions like and not stupid and it was wrong but i wasn't thinking very clearly i was very like just all over the place Mm -hmm. i was trying to switch running from the came for the for the the u.s from the u.s to running for the cayman islands where my family's originally from which is super cool i wanted to do something for my home country and i felt like i was at the precipice of becoming one of the greatest middle distance runners in history. And I'm like, the U.S. has all this great stuff, you know, th- that rich history. I'm like, let me go and inspire directly, not indirectly because I'm Caymanian, but directly because I'm representing them, the, the, the youth of the, of the Caribbean and specifically of the Cayman Islands and also Jamaica because I'm half Jamaican. And mm. that's what my part, my family is also from, part is all from Jamaica. And I said, I would, uh, they were known for jumpers and sprinters, mainly sprinters. Shout out Usain Bolt. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to give, uh, this is running, um, a place in our culture. And I want right. to bring something new to the table and I want to inspire the youth and the culture because lifestyle related diseases are prevalent. And I said, if people just adopted the sport of running, man, we could change so many people's lives and change future generations and also, create some future great athletes in the sport of distance running. So that's why I wanted to do it. It's not that I didn't want to rep the United States. I'm like, I wish if I could do both, I would, but I had to choose. Uh, but that was a tough time because I was dealing with what's going on with my disease. Should I stay with Nike? I want to stay with Nike, but I run for the Cayman Islands. And wh- it was like, I don't feel like I was emotionally very well stable uh, mm. <laughs> to, to, to say it nicely, I guess. And so I ended up, Saying no to Nike. Uh, was this the same time that you were transitioning coaches and everything? Too? Yeah, I was transitioning uh, coaches. Uh, no, yeah, actually, so I tra- mean- no, no, no. I had actually transitioned coaches already. I was with Joaquim Cruz. I left. Uh, okay. yeah, I left my other coach after 2006 season, and so okay. um, that's that was about almost three years ago. Uh, prior to this yeah, moment, no, that makes sense. But, but I was trying to. I'm- Think about where what what was the stability in your life at that time because it was a, a lot of stuff. But it, everything was changing. You know, I was decided yeah, to yeah. leave the training center because I didn't want to. I was gonna not represent the United States anymore, so that I lose that op- option. Uh, I, I didn't have a place to stay. I gave up my Nike contract. I decided. Well, my coach and I decided to part ways as well, and so didn't have my coach. Lost. I gave up my Nike contract. He already said that. I mean, I was diagnosed with a terminal disease. So you basically went from having a routine that was so centered and focused and built for success to suddenly your life was just a lot of aspects of your life thrown into flux. Mm-hmm. And mostly with this thing, this unknown sort of 
Yeah, it was also thrown in the mix. It's crazy. And I ended up staying at my best friend's parents' house for a while. Um, shout out mom and dad, Kenton and Shauna Oaks. And, um, <laughs> and, and they were huge, you know, uh, godsend in many ways. And I remember running from their home, um, out in Spring Valley where I grew up, Spring Valley, California, not too far from the Olympic Training Center. And I remember, getting up every morning and running out in this valley area where they where they lived and it was like middle of nowhere i mean it's just like away from everything and i remember you know what that time of my life was like with everything changed you know um what you know my priority in terms of running yeah definitely shifted that's why i think i was just like almost like forget everything i'm just gonna take all these changes you know i mean Smart decisions, but keep the Nike contract. It was a really good contract. It was for another four and a half, five years. It was a great deal. Stay running for the United States. Just keep it simple. Like keep your agent, keep your coach. Just stay in San Diego, whatever. Right? Yeah, keep everything stable and deal with this one new thing with the with the support of all the stability that's there. But that's not me. I I do. It's not me. I do. you know, yeah. it's not, it, when yeah. things needed to change, I, I knew I had I had a vision, I had a plan, and I'm sticking to my plan. And but mm-hmm. it was hard to stick to the plan when everything was so in flux and things had to change, and I had to make those decisions. It wasn't that I say it was stupid only because it was like it wasn't the easy route, so it was stupid to make things harder. But it was like I'm like in the long run, it should be it's going to get better. It's going to be simpler because I'm doing what I believe in, right? And that. When you're passionate about something, you can overcome anything. I felt so. I was like, nah, it's it's gonna be harder in the beginning, but I'm I'm always gonna make the harder decision. That's just me. But I'm going through the running thing. I'm, I'm training. I'm trying to do stuff, and I'm just questioning every single run. I'm like, am I making my disease worse? That was so yeah. hard to sit there and go, should I even be running? And then I had spent so many years, like six months out of the year on the road, not seeing my family, sac- giving up holidays you know any girlfriend i had after a couple months of being gone in europe or somewhere they'd be like yeah you're not around what's it's over and i'm like dang it's i mean i liked the girls yeah, that i yeah. was dating I, enough to where i'm like it was a little bit of a bummer but i was like oh, i guess you're right see ya you know i i got work to do yeah. i'm not gonna change and so um i didn't I wasn't living much of my life and so i felt like wow Maybe this is, what if I do die from this thing? What if I'm going to die sooner in life? What if my life is going to end up being a life of dialysis and kidney transplants? I'm like, that's a pretty terrible life. I mean, sorry to say, but I'm like, from what I'm living now, I'm like, uh, complete yeah. freedom to no freedom. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And so all that stuff was going through my head. So the priority was not running. And it was, it's, it was like really hard to come back to that. It was really hard to come back to that. So you hit the nail on the head. My priority unwillingly shifted from like, oh my God, uh, I'm going to die. John, how, how long did you train that way before anything changed for you from a kidney disease? I, I, I know there's your kidney disease story goes on and we're going to talk about the treatment you had, but how many, I, I don't remember the time frame, the years, like when, when different things happened. So how long were, were you in that state of sort of training, but questioning your training and, and I don't know, just sort of getting by as a professional athlete, who's kind of two years, life is in flux. Two, two years. years. Yeah. Yeah. So it took me until about, I kept training. I kept doing stuff. I, I, I was able to manage getting into pretty good shape every once in a while. Um, 
2009, I don't remember doing much. 2010, I met a girl. <laughs> and uh, at a race in Hawaii. And, uh, you know, she ended up being the love of my life. And she was in Orange County. I was living in Seattle at the time. So I went from San Diego to Lafayette, uh, East Bay, California, trying to work out this maybe it started, I was part of the beginning of the, the, the Bay Area Track Club when it was all starting up. And I was going to mm. stay there and just maybe live in the Bay and just part, be part of that group. So I was like looking for a new group, new coach, all that stuff. And, and then that didn't really work out after about, I don't know, six months or whatever. Then I moved to Seattle where my brother lives. And I lived there for about a year. I stayed on his couch for a while. Then I ended up staying there. And then I just kind of quit running. I still trained, but I got into teaching. So I was actually a preschool teacher. <laughs> for about yeah yeah i was a preschool teacher for about um oh there she is so cute <laughs> my daughter just yeah it's so cute yep, go um, ahead. but i was i was a preschool teacher uh for about six to eight months or something like that and i was like i loved it i'm like i think i'm done i think this is i'm gonna do this for the rest of my life i was i was done i was actually done this is like 2009 2010 and I mm. loved every single second of it. I loved my, my five to eight year olds. Uh, I loved my teacher, my co, my uh, teachers, my, and, 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 and the staff there. Um, it was at a daycare. It was a preschool. Um, but I had five year olds through uh, half the morning and then the, you know, six to eight year olds came second half of the day. But I just loved my kids, man. I loved being a teacher and I was so in love with the whole thing. But I still raced here and there. Uh, was actually repping the uh, the Cayman Islands at that point, and I got sent over to. I was doing some races, did the Hawaii thing, uh, and then uh, I moved up to Seattle after that. And then I had like another race, and so I was talking to this girl at that time, and so that was kind of like a nice distraction. But I was still racing, and then I ended up going to do some stuff in in um, New York. I flew that girl out to New York. We ended up, I ended up doing the Fifth Avenue mile. I barely, I think, I think it just make it bro broke it four minutes after a year and a half of struggling. So I was really close to breaking four at the Fifth Avenue, which is one of my races that I actually was super great at performing at. Uh, finished top three or top four a few times, uh, almost winning that prestigious mile. And then I moved, yep. went back to C Seattle and I was, and I had, uh, not too long after the Fifth Avenue, Fifth Avenue mile, I was competing in the Commonwealth Games in India for three weeks. And I mm -hmm. did okay there, around the 8 and 15 there. But at that time, I was like, you know, really caught up in this girl. And I was like, maybe I should just, you know, focus on relationship instead of running. Because, again, I'm like, am I making things worse with my disease? Am I taking a big risk? And I decided to quit my preschool job. Moved back to, moved to Southern California and pursue a relationship with this, this, uh, woman, you know? And, yep. and it was mainly because, you know, I was at a point in my life where I was like, Hey, at the end of the day, my life is short. I'm spending all this time on the road. I've been doing this for six, seven years now. And, uh, I'm like, I don't know when this disease is going to get worse. I don't know what's going to kick in, you know? Uh, so I'm like, forget it. I'm going to go and, and, and dive head over head over heels i was head over heels in love with this woman uh things were great 
mainly from afar, but every time I got a chance to see her, I'd go see her, you know, and, and we'd get together and do stuff. And I was like, man, this is, this is, she's the one. So I decided to, to move this to Orange County and pursue that relationship and possibly just quit running altogether, which ultimately after the 2012 Olympics, I tried to, I qualified, I believe. I don't remember if I hit the standard or not, but the, 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 the Cayman Islands were going to send me a few months before the games and they were in London. Patella tendonitis struck real bad in my, my right knee. I just couldn't do anything. And they're like, nah, we're not going to send you. So I ended up yeah. not going to the games, you know, and, um, skipped out on a lot of races throughout that season. And I was just like, ah, I'm just not into it anymore. So I think I'm done. I'm just going to focus on this relationship, get a normal job and hopefully maybe start a family and, and, and work through this disease thing. And the, uh, uh, and that's kind of where I was at in terms of the, the, the from when I was diagnosed to, Right before the games, I did get a special surgery. We'll talk about that in just a second. But for the most part, my focus really was not on running, even though I was still running. The, it was always in the back of my head that because I wasn't paying attention to my disease, I wasn't on any drugs, no treatment, barely talking to doctors, wasn't doing much with it. I just knew that I had this disease and it wasn't really affecting me yet. But I was like, I felt like it was a ticking time bomb waiting to explode. And I'm like, my life... The other part of my life that I wasn't living, having a family, having a real relationship with a woman, living a normal life, uh, working on other aspects of my life that I should have figured out before I retired from professional running or being a professional athlete. I'm like, maybe it's time to figure all this stuff out. Um, that was kind of what my, my life was like over that during that time period between when I was diagnosed and when I actually got uh, an experimental treatment. So let's... Let's move to that experimental treatment because I think that is really kind of the second half of this. You have your diagnosis. You have your time of flux where it's it's shifted your priorities and it's kind of just uh, had this big effect on your career and, and, and your life. How did you hear about, for the first case, this potential treatment and, and how did you end up deciding to do it? Or maybe maybe they should just you should explain what is the treatment first and then we can get into to how you found it. Yeah, so it was a, the, the treatment uh, was stem cell, stem cell treatment, uh, specifically stem cell treatment for FSGS. It was a focused uh, procedure that a group of doctors was interested in pursuing uh, to see if they could uh, use stem cells to effectively treat chronic kidney disease and specifically FSGS. And the way I found out about it, uh, the, the surgery was performed out here in Rancho Mirage, California, out here in Southern California. Uh, I found out about it from a friend uh, who's now currently, the, uh, who's now the president of uh, a training facility uh, for athletes, uh, amateur all the way to professional called The Rock, The Rock Institute. And there's a friend, Brent Conklin, who's actually a baseball player for UCLA, uh, right around the time that I was competing at UCLA as well. Um, mm-hmm. And Brent's from Orange County. So we both live out in here in Orange County now. And Brent and I have been friends since 2006, 2000, yeah, 2006. We we're actually housemates for one year or two years uh, as well. And Brent uh, and I became really good friends. He is, is a genius when it comes to like physiology and, and massage therapy and, and nutrition and training and all that stuff. So, he was going to the Rock Institute at one point. He was an athlete there and he was, uh, you know, really good friends with the founder of the, of the Institute who, uh, he now kind of like has replaced that guy, uh, as the lead person for that, uh, company. At the right. time, 
Brent, you know, it's just, man, he was, I call him my angel, this guy, because every time something crazy is happening in my life, literally every time since I met him, he's been like the savior somehow. Like he's been like a solution person. Like my foot broke in 2006 at the USA Championships. Brent got, helped me to go to the Rock Institute, told me about Vic Roxani, who had this crazy, um, uh, brand new, uh, um, Massage therapy got up in my leg, my foot, fixed my foot in five weeks. I wasn't supposed to be out of the boot for eight weeks, maybe even 12 weeks. He got me running back in five, five weeks after my foot had severely broken in half, uh, basically broken in half. And my third metatarsal completely fractured, bone was on bone. It was just crazy. I didn't have to have any pins or nothing like that. No surgery. Vic fixed it. It was crazy. Um, Brent got me connected with Vic. They saved my running career, honestly. It was supposed yeah. to be over. Um, then, you know, uh, fast forward five years later, here comes the Rock Institute again. Uh, Brent, here's what these doctors talking about stem cells and they're trying to, the Rock Institute is part of all this cutting edge, uh, stuff. I mean, they do all kinds of amazing, amazing things. And that's one of those things they said, yeah, we're interested in, in that type of stuff. So, Brent heard that they're looking at FSGS and he's like, a kidney disease. And he's like, I don't know if it was FSGS John has or something, but I think you guys, I had known this athlete and I th- he has kidney disease. I think you guys may be able to work together. He's like, I wasn't too sure, but he's like, let me just yeah. ask. So he said, let me get you connected to you. So he told me about them, told them about me and then brought us together. Lo and behold, Brent was right. They were talking about FSGS. They were looking for, looking at stem cells as a way to treat it. And I have FSGS. And I was interested in finding a cure. So these guys were stem cell researchers who had already been using stem cell treatments, not on FSGS, but on other diseases. Kinda, yeah. They're not. They correct? weren't stem cell researchers or, or anything like oh, that. Okay. They were super successful doctors in other areas. Like a, a doctor, okay. uh, Elliot Lander was my main doctor. Doctor Jackie C. and then Doctor uh, Mark Ber- Ber- Bergman. Uh, I got to double check on Mark's name. I think it was Doctor Mark Bergman. They all were involved in, in, in my procedure. Um, Dr. Lander was at UCI and I think he was doing some stuff on, you know, with stem cells there or something like that. I think he was doing, or, or, or I know UCI, UCI was doing some stuff with it, but Dr. Lander was definitely focused a lot on kidney disease stuff, I believe. And amongst okay. other things. So that's kind of like where his interest came with regards to the stem cell stuff. Him and Dr. Bergman has a pra- have a practice out in Rancher Mirage. I think they were doing other things. And then the stem yep. cell thing came up and they're like, wow, that's a viable treatment solution that we want to explore. And they had a, sp- a, a specific technique that they were using that you have to look at their website. Um, uh, I think it's like stem cell network or something like that dot com. Again, we'll provide in the show notes. Again, I'm sorry, guys, I don't have all yeah. this stuff memorized, but where they explain their unique procedure with regards to using stem cells to treat people uh, and, spe- and different types of uh, uh, illnesses. Their right. focus was, one of their focuses was you trying to work with uh, FSGS patients. And Dr. Okay. J- Jackie C is a world-renowned uh, uh, surgeon and I believe also a cardiologist as well. He's one of the best in the world of what he does. And this guy is a legend. And, and so they're combined as a team. Somehow they were interested in, got, uh, got interested in stem cell treatment and they were beginning, they were, they did all their work, um, leading up to when they were going to start doing some treatments for with people. And this is back again in 2011. And, you know, FSGS is one of the things that they were willing to do. 
And I had to go through a whole bunch of like tests and, 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 and reading through a lot of literature because this is all experimental. Now, guys, I want you to pay very close attention to what I'm about to say about this going forward because it had a profound effect on me, I believe. But when I talk about what it did for me, certain words that I would like to use, I'm going to try to avoid using because it could be very misleading in terms of what this means for people who have chronic kidney disease. And because I'm one of the only people mm-hmm. in the world that we know of at, the, at this point who has had this particular procedure done for FSGS. So when I go through all the stuff that you have to go through when you're about to do something experimental, and you also find out that you have to pay cash and you find out what the cost of it is, it's very expensive. I'm not going to give the numbers because um, that's, uh, that's misleading as well um, as far as how much it cost me out of pocket. But no one's, but the thing you should understand is that it was not approved as a something that insurance is, was going to cover. No health insurance is right. covering this. This is something that was still new, especially in the United States. Stem cell stuff, uh, treatments and stuff abroad, for sure. A lot of cutting edge stuff is being done or pursued in different, at a much deeper level or higher level than, than it was happening in the United States. We were very much behind when it comes to that stem cell stuff. So these guys were definitely on cut, do, doing something cutting edge as far as going for it. There's a lot that goes into stem cells that a lot of people didn't like. It was controversial because of where the stem cells were coming from. Um, do your own research to really know the back history of stem cells and what where the controversy was when it right. first came about, when people were first talking about it. But at this point, what was super cool about what they were doing was that the stem cells were coming from me, from my my body, my fat specifically in my body, which I very much I had very little of <laughs> as a distance runner. <laughs> so Dr. Bergman had fun joking, joking about how little fat, how was the worst patient he ever had? Cause I literally had no fat and they had to look through my body to find what's the best spot where I could possibly get some fat from this guy to harvest stem cells <laughs> from. Um, but yeah, it was, it was one of those things where they were very clear. It's experimental. We have no idea if anything good's going to happen from it. And, Bad stuff can happen from it too. You know, stem cells are, um, unique in that they can technically become, uh, like other cells in, 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 uh, you know, where, where they're injected or where they're placed, they can become like other cells, you know, so they can transform, you know, uh, you know, uh, and become like a kidney cell or possibly something not so good, you know, and so right. there's no real, major control over it and this is something where we we're going to talk more about the risks with doing stem cell treatment but you know i read through all the stuff and i understood that there's a possibility but but what appealed to me about it was that even though it was experimental even though i was one of the first people in the world to really be having this surgery this type of procedure i was like the possible the upside what was described of what this could do what stem cells could do i said my understanding and again, this is not necessarily 100% accurate because you need to do the research. You need to talk to doctors. You need to do, talk to scientists. You need to talk to people that actually spend time with this to thoroughly understand what stem cells can do. But the way that I began to understand it and what convinced me enough to want to do it and take the risk, because I'm like, hey, this could have a really bad side effect. I don't know. Was that the fact that what stem cells sounded like it could do and what makes sense logically is that, well, if stem cells could, can become anything, what if stem cells became the, the you know, kidney, my kidney stem cells 
are kidney cells where they can um, start repairing my kidneys. I said, isn't that technically possible? Yeah, it's, they said, yeah, it's technically possible. That could be something. This is why we're interested in stem cells. Like stem cells could have, they have healing properties. And so if they, if they do what stem cells are, your body's naturally trained to do, which is when something bad is, something's damaged, your, your body sends in an army to heal that mm-hmm. thing. So what we were doing was sending reinforcements to my yep. kidneys to say, Hey guys, here's some additional help to fight the disease because the disease is doing one thing where it's like, hey, let's damage the cell. Boom, 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 boom. We're beating it up. And your body's saying, no, 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 we want to fix it. So it's trying to fix it, but it can't keep up with fixing it naturally. The natural guys, the people that were already there trying to fix it, your stem cells, it's not working. They can't keep up with the the damage being done from the protein being spilled out. And the more that happened, the more damage it's happening to your kidneys and the more it's eroding. So it's hard to keep up with it. Your body can't keep up with healing what's, what right. the damage is being done. So the stem cells, the idea is you send the, send the stem cells and, and it's going to not only stop the progression of it, but possibly fix the damage that was done. So I have said, and it's not, it's one of the words I don't really want to use, but I'm going to use it because I think I'm explaining it fairly well. It's like reversing the disease. In many ways, it's reversing the damage that was done, which is why I say reversing the disease. Is that what really happened for me? Seems like it in some ways, but I can't really verify that because I haven't had a biopsy. So I can't say, is there any damaged cells or, or damaged scar tissue or damaged tissue? Has it all been healed? I don't know. But that's what it seems like. It seems like, well, if the stem cells can go in there and stop it and also start helping to heal it, if there's enough of it, right, and it's effective enough, that seems like that's what could possibly happen from stem cell treatment, which is what I'm so curious about and why I've taken so long to talk about it. Because I not only did I not understand FSGS, which we still don't fully understand chronic kidney disease and the kidneys as a whole. But now you're talking about stem cells and we have all this stuff around stem cells and we don't really fully understand. And we still don't to a great extent what stem cells can possibly do good or bad to a person when used. Oh, my gosh, it's like your mind is spinning. You know, but that's the nut and bolt of it is that it's like adding a, a second reinforcement of, uh, uh, that, that's going in there specifically to be kidney cells and be, the, be se- specifically function as healers. So, so this was the intent of the procedure. Yeah. Correct. This is the, go- this is the goal. And there are some side effects that you were aware of or potential negative side effects that could happen. And you went through with the procedure. Mm-hmm. You just, you chose to do it. And um, I guess I'm curious, what has been the effect for you? you? You've used words like reverse it, but we've been talking about the intent. What has been your experience now, post, post-procedure? post Yeah, um, let me answer that in just a second. So just so that people know, because I'm sure they're going to be curious, like, what was the procedure? So it's a very simple okay. explanation. Again, we will dive into this more, but the procedure was very simple. I drove out to Rancho Mirage, actually with my girlfriend, the girl who I started dating. So she took me out there. So she was with me uh, for this, which is, which is a blessing because I had nobody else with me. Um, so she drove me out there. And first part of the, the, the day was in the morning was I had the liposuction. Liposuction that mm-hmm. day. Uh, they do it. They did it for my back. That was probably the most painful part of the, uh, the procedure. And that's what probably took me the longest to heal from the procedure. Otherwise, I think I would have been probably up and up 
up and at him within, within a week or two. Um, and they had to put some like little stent in my, my right leg because of, uh, of having to go through it, right? My right, main right artery to trans, trans, take a tube up to my kidneys and shoot the stem cells into it. But first part was just getting the, getting the fat. Second part was them separating the stem cells from the fat. So they were, you know, using a centrifuge and separating the stem cells, getting a high concentration of stem cells that they were going to then inject into my kidneys. So they did that whole part, fat, get stem cells, separate it out. That afternoon, I go to the surgery center where it's very minor surgery, but they did put me under because it it is somewhat just uncomfortable, like how they had to get the stem cells into my kidneys. So they used to go through the main right artery uh, is this really high tech surgery center. Uh, so it's crazy. It's a crazy procedure. Take this tube um, and it's going up through the main right artery, my right leg, all the way up to my kidneys. And then that they shoot the kidneys or shot the stem cells, the, the concentration of, of stem cells into uh, or in the area of the kidneys. I think it was like into the kidneys or something like that. Um, right. Surgery's done. That was it. Uh, I stayed at a hotel that night because it was a two hour, three hour drive. They said, you need to lay down and you just need to mm-hmm. rest, um, at following the surgery. And uh, I ended up staying at the local hotel in Rancho Mirage area. And then the next morning we drove back. But I mean, it was an outpatient thing. I was literally in and out in one, it was one day, you know, and that was it. One treatment done. And after that, just, Six to twelve months, just testing the, you know, my uh, doing blood or urine tests and just seeing the numbers, and eventually, I think within six months, the numbers started improving. Kidney function seemed to be improving. My numbers started reducing as far as like protein in the urine, all this stuff, and it kept getting better. I felt amazing, actually, and uh, I did start feeling pretty good uh, as far as like uh, not feeling tired anymore, not feeling the same kind of tired. I actually felt a tremendous amount of energy and focus. Things just felt differently after that surgery and in a really good way, you know, um, in, 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 in ways that made me question like, wow, how bad was it really? Because I felt so much better after the surgery that there was definitely something I was being impacted physically, even at my the height of my running career. I was being impacted by this and and, and I didn't know to, yeah. to what extent, but I knew I was a little bit more clear after the fact because of how great I felt following this simple experimental treatment. So I, at this point, you kept getting some tests. You said that your albumin count, I, I probably messed this up too, but albumin, I think was the protein that you were, that these, these things started to improve. Yeah. Like creatinine you... levels, albumin, things like that. Yeah. Okay. Numbers are improving. And, and I guess this is about eight years ago, right? I mean, we're talking seven or eight years ago, 2011, yeah. so 2012. So November 2011. I... So this November 2020 will be, you know, nine years nine officially years. since yeah. I had the surgery, which is a long time, actually. A long time for somebody who has kidney disease. And if you think about it, when did I first really, when was I first, there was any real indication officially of something wrong? 1999. So that was 21 years ago. And, and where are you right now? Like, would you, when you test, if you, I don't know when the last test you took. Last September. Things like these, last September, I guess just from the facts of that test, like what did that, what is, what does the test show for you? Dr. Lander was like, the numbers are fantastic. My doctor, 
who performed the surgery, he's like, I can't believe how well you're doing. Like, the numbers are great. And um, they're steady, you know. They're as good as, pretty much as good as you can get them, you know. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're still doing great. And I asked Dr. Lander, you know, uh, how do we talk about this? And he's, yes. you know, what, what do we do? And why didn't we write about this sooner? And he's like, well, I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't get anybody to publish anything about what we've done or really say too much about it because you were one of the only people, if not maybe the only person who's really had this surgery in the world. So what evidence did we have? Not much. You know, there's not much to be said. We needed more evidence, more stuff. And I said, well, did you do more surgeries like this one on other people? He says, not really. No, we've done other types of stem cell stuff with great results for other stuff, but not necessarily for FSGS. So it's an interesting thing. It's like, I kind of got lucky. Um, and I mean, there's, there's so much to say about like, wow, what is that? What does well, that all really mean? Think, you know, I think it's very important for us to call out a few things. And one of them is, Throughout this period, over the course of eight years, uh, you weren't consistently taking tests and consistently being monitored in like a controlled experiment type of setting where where you would have a wealth of medical evidence of, of things. We have certain tests, I think. Yeah, and, I mean, there's like three or four indicate... years after the surgery and then it kind of like yeah. died off for a couple of years and then I started doing it again and they would follow up me sometimes, but it wasn't like... I don't know. I, I, and that's where it's like a little bit like disappointing because I'm like, well, what more could we have done between now and then? And I don't know if, the, if it would have mattered as much, uh, but it would be nice to have. The, it's better to have the data than not. Um, but we are well, where we are right now. But that's it's, it is an important point to make that not a lot of tracking was done. But that being said, even just doing a test recently and still seeing that the numbers haven't changed and or have improved slightly, but they haven't gone down. Are backwards that says a lot nine years later when again i was diagnosed with the disease 2008 which was 12 years ago and nothing has changed like that's really interesting you know and i'm like that's where what, i think what we want what we want to know is what what we all are curious about is even if the stem cell treatment didn't have an impact the kind of impact that we all would like to believe that it had on me so that, that it, 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 it then begs the question of, or the possibility of like, wow, this means you could probably do this for other people, a lot of other people. The fact that we don't really know that is why we should explore this more. Uh, because yeah. we can't attribute anything co uh, conclusively to why I'm doing so well. It's not my diet, you know, I mean, diet's okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's great for an Olympic athlete, I guess, but that's a byproduct of trying to be a world-class athlete. So it's not really just because of my diet and physically being physically fit. Eh, okay. But my disease was still progressing. It obviously did from 1999 to 2008 because it was 300 to 3000. It was getting worse. Um, and, and then all of a sudden the only thing that, that was different that stands out stem cells. It's the only thing. Yes. So this is where I think it's important for us to just call out from our perspective, uh, yours as the person who went through it and mine as the friend who's talked with you about it a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, um, you know, there's, there's limit, there are limited data points, but there, the ones that are there indicate a change for the better in your condition. What is normally when you look at the, 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 the thousands and thousands of people who suffer from FSGS across the world, a normal trend for a typical patient 
is a consistent decline in in kidney performance and which ultimately leads to drugs and then dialysis and then and then transplants and that is a standard well-known uh, trajectory for a typical FSGS patient and what sets you apart is this stem cell treatment and your trajectory has not followed that path of a, of a typical FSGS patient yeah. at all. In, 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 in fact, it seems to have reversed. Now, we are very cautious about using the word, the stem cell, using a phrase like the stem cell treatment reversed my kidney disease because we have spoken with other doctors who are kidney disease specialists who don't feel there's enough evidence to be able to say conclusively, yes, stem cell treatment clearly did this. Yeah, so we're not calling that a cure. It's, it's, we're not saying it's not, that it, it's not we're, a, not, we're not saying yes. that conclu- we cannot say conclusively that it reversed it. Um, we cannot, um, say that it's a treatment that's, that's, you know, something that would work for everybody. Uh, we can't say any of those things as none of those things because we don't know if it's any of those things. And there's no real evidence, enough evidence, uh, enough data, uh, to conclude that. And that's not a discouraging thing though. It shouldn't be because that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is, what, beli- what lies beneath the surface of the experience is a lot of hope. There's like, I went through something and almost a decade later from when I went through it, I'm still doing well. In fact, I'm doing really well. In fact, I'm doing better than like almost every single person that has died. Once, once they're diagnosed with FSGS, it's like a, it's like a countdown. And it's like usually within like 12 to 24 months, they're on dialysis. Yeah, that's what I hear. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I maybe I need to speak to more than 10, 20, 30 people. But I'm like, how come every person that I've talked to that has had that, that, that once they were diagnosed, it was like really quickly they're on dialysis. I'm like, wow, like, why didn't that happen for me? Um, I think certain variables contributed to prolonging it, but it wasn't stopping it. But the stem cell treatment came and then it stopped. So and I the think, question yeah. is, did it have an impact? The answer is, we don't know. The hope is, and my mission is, by telling my story and this particular story again and again and again and again and again, everywhere that I can, that's what I'm going to be doing, that we can raise awareness, get more people to ask more questions, inspire more people to be more curious and to raise funding for more research into stem cell treatment as a potential viable long-term solution as it relates to treating chronic kidney disease. That's the hope. Because of my experience, I am extremely curious and extremely hopeful that this can actually be something that at some point in the future, hopefully sooner rather than later, proves to be an optional solution for people with chronic kidney disease and hopefully can contribute to curbing the increase in the number of people annually right now that are being diagnosed officially with chronic kidney disease, which is at this point in time, approximately 100,000 new people a year are being diagnosed. One in seven people in the United States have chronic kidney disease. That's scary because that number is only going up. It's only going up and there is very little indication that there's any real solution that's being found. Um, 
And that's an important thing for people to be aware of is that in a room of seven people, somebody has chronic kidney disease. And the chances of you knowing it is very high because it doesn't let you know when you have it until it's too late. And the only reason why I found out about it was because of my Olympic situation, you know? I think that's another key thing. There's there's a couple things that I think can be takeaways from this. One is if you're not doing a medical test that's sufficient to check for things like kidney disease, it's really good to have one because it, it, it's going to be diagnosed primarily initially through a urine test. And if you're not doing that consistently, there's a chance you're going to miss out on, on a diagnosis. And the earlier you do get diagnosed, as with most diseases, I think the better your treatment options are. Um now and then secondarily to what you said John it's like at one point we have we have one case even if you if there's only one case of what appears to be a success story with regard to your chronic kidney disease and we should also point out we don't know that your chronic kidney disease is gone we just know that it's at least been sort of held at bay right like it's it's sort of it's sort of not progressing and getting worse and there is a good enough reason, in our opinion, to to associate your improvement with the stem cell treatment that you had. And our goal is to to shift the discussion to get more testing done on stem cell treatment as, for some of these chronic diseases because they may hold potential where so many other treatments and uh, have not have fallen short. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's crazy to think. You know, I. I really do, I really do hope that, you know, what people will get out of, uh, you know, at least at the beginning of talking about this and really sharing the first part of my story is that people walk away, you know, hopeful that there are other options out there and that the thing that we all have to do a really good job of is, 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 is being open minded and, 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 and being proactive. And seeking out uh, alternative solutions because, um, just to be clear, I said no to prednisone. I said no to blood pressure medication. Those are the only two options I was given as I, when I was diagnosed as options that could help slow it down. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I said no. I was not excited about the side effects. I was not interested in, I hate drugs in the first place. So I'm like, nope, not interested. Um, and, so when I turned those two things down, it was like, now what do I do? You know, yeah. uh, when I was first diagnosed. So at this point, it's important that, um, you know, I, I think, I hope that people will, will, will explore this and ask questions. You know, I've, I've had people hit me up on Instagram and I was just like, gosh, I can't, I gotta tell, I gotta, I gotta find a way to effectively tell the entire story. This is, this has been a really great start to that, um, because I feel like it answers a lot of the questions that I otherwise would answer or would want to answer, or at least information I'd want to share about my experience as openly and honestly as possible so that people can gain an understanding, uh, in, in context, in full context of what I, what I experienced and what, uh, where we're at with everything. And, And there's one other, aspect of this that I do want to provide some clarification on 
to close sure, out please. this as far as where, where things are at with this uh, stem cell treatment oppor- opportunity, specifically in the United States, where I've had the treatment and where I think there was a lot of innovation happening um, as it relates to stem cell treatment. But yeah, I just wanted to say that. I, I just want people to, to look and, and, and do their homework and, 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 and ask questions. And, and I'd love to be a resource. That's the whole point of this is... Well, I have two things you know, I want to ask you about. The one is, uh, the first one is, Right now, my understanding is that stem cell treatment is banned by the FDA. It's uh, in a state of limbo. It's it's well, it's it's. Not, I guess it's not in a state of limbo in that it's it's not allowed to be practiced. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's listening to this and saying, "Oh my God, I'm going to go to my doctor and ask for stem cell treatment," it's not possible right now. And you can maybe maybe you know more about that than I do, but I, we want to make that clear. Like this happened many years ago, and and it's a very controversial. Uh, topic in the medical community, stem cell treatments, and it's in the middle of a drawn-out process to determine the legality of it. I cannot speak for the details in the U.S., and I certainly don't know the details in other countries, what they do. But, um, John, do you want to add anything about that exact situation, like where stem cell treatments are at right now in the United States? Yeah, I'm just double-checking on Google just to kind of see what the current updates are. Um, if you just type in the words stem cell treatment banned in USA. So what comes up is certain forms of stem cell treatment are allowed, but a lot of it, F- the FDA FDA is warning against it for sure. They're like, this, it's, you know, it's definitely... Some, some treatments, stem cell treatments are illegal and some, and they definitely consider it potentially harmful. So that's what they're advertising. Um, that's been, that's been, what's being published and put out there. Some stuff is considered definitely prohibited. Um, uh, let's see, both by f- federal law and also by, um, uh, the FDA. But, you know, the well, stuff that the, 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 the stuff that is allowed to do, the stuff that the doctors were doing, they've been shut down. My doctors have been shut down. Their practice is on hold. They're in a major court battle, uh, you know, right now um, with I think with the FDA and with the federal uh, government. I think that they're. I think it's a Supreme Court case. Um, I hope I get to participate in some way in, in it by sharing my story, my experience, and providing some contrast with others who have had uh, similar roads but different treatment paths and, and different results uh, that were not good uh, versus mine that have been seemingly favorable um, yeah so as far as the treatments go it, it's it, I don't think that you're gonna I think you're gonna find a lot of roadblocks more than I ex- obviously that existed in 2011 when I had my surgery uh, our treatment. And so I, I'll warn you, fair warning is that it's probably going to be a lot, lo- a lot of limitations. Um, yep. there still isn't a lot of information about FSGS or cr- chronic kidney disease and stem cells and stem cells as a treatment option because there isn't a lot of information because a lot hasn't been done. And now more than ever, uh, our mat- and now uh, since over the last couple of years, when I think the, the suit initially came up against, um, uh, my doctor and his his network of doctors and his practice specifically, uh, they're on hold, man. They haven't been able to do much at all. I mean, their practice is basically, you know, being bankrupted by this, and they're having. Hopefully, they can win this case because it would be huge uh, for them, uh, and it will be huge for all of us. The ca- key thing to keep in mind, though, about this fight, a big part of that fight that they're in this battle to be able to pr- pr- uh, continue to perform these stem cell surgeries and stuff like that uh, is um, the right. They're also what's tied up into this thing is this argument 
uh, I think from the FDA or, or from some party saying that this is something that's not cool because um, when you take stem cells out of somebody's body and then you inject it into them as a treatment under some type of treatment protocol, that then turns that those stem cells into a drug and the drug is un- considered unregulated and mm. they need to regulate it. They, they, they said that's just part of the process. Like this is, it's not safe. You know, we haven't really reviewed this or thoroughly approved mm-hmm. this. So no, like you're not so, allowed. So there are some valid concerns. We don't want to make it sound like there's no valid concerns on the part of the government. Anything, but anything medical, there should be a valid concern. And so yes. they, so, so yeah, I mean, there's justification in that, but, uh, you know, there's opinions around that. So whatever we, we could, Again, another conversation, but that's what's happening with it. And so there's a concern uh, that people's rights to be able to do stuff with their own stem cells to say what they would like to be able to do with it, medically speaking, is also being challenged, meaning like that's that right is also uh, on the table and being challenged yeah. and, and being something that could be taken away from all of us. And that's a big part of the fight. And what I think when I've talked to Dr. Landers, a big concern of his, you know, uh, and, you know, I want to be very clear. I, I didn't tell Dr. Landers that I was going to be on my podcast talking about this. So I do use mm-hmm. anything I say is my opinion. It's it's from me. Uh, it has not been approved by Dr. Lander or his team um, or Dr. Jackie C or Dr. Ber- Bergman. They're wonderful men. I trust them. I believe in them. And I can't begin to say how grateful I am to the work that they're doing. I believe they're doing great work. Um, and I'm so grateful for the, the things that they did for me, but they have not approved anything that I've said. Uh, I've had private conversations with them. And so when you, when, when this is published, uh, it's published with this being solely of me and my knowledge or lack thereof. And, um, this has not been approved by them. This does not represent them in any way shape or form and i want to also make that th- sure that's very clear i support them i promote their work i will i proudly recommend and refer people to their their um practice so that people can reach out to them share their story find out if they're a good candidate for any treatments find out what the status of treatments are and to also just get information uh, i trust them i believe in them and, and i and i wholeheartedly support them but i don't want to misrepresent them in any way shape and form in terms of sharing my personal story, I have every right to do that. But anything I've said as it relates to associating with them and in terms of information, um, they're the professionals. Uh, you know, um, I don't want to misrepresent them. So I want that to also be very clear yeah. uh, in terms of sharing my story. Again, I have a right to share it, what I've experienced. But this is not something that uh, is meant to represent their practice or anything in any way hopefully if anything it highlights the wonderful work that they're doing and again my trust in them as, as a patient and, and, and everything so john as we wrap this up if there's somebody listening to this who uh wants to reach out to you and wants to get in touch with you about whatever part of this story that that really resonated with them whether it's your experience or whether it's I, well, of course, it's supposed to going to be about your kidney disease, how you've gone through it, hearing more about your story. How should they reach out to you and how would you like to connect with people uh, who who are interested in learning more about your story? Yeah, I mean, I think the first place to go is uh, honestly, you should you should visit GobyMore.co. 
Um, everything that we're doing and building through our apparel company actually is tied to doing amazing work as it relates to personal growth, as it relates to uh, being more physically active, more educated, uh, you know, being well balanced, you know, financially. And of course, giving back to your community. And a big part of that is, is our idea of, of being more charitable to go be more charitable. Um, learn about what, what I'm doing because everything that I'm doing with go be more is tied to this. And a big part of go be more is going to be, uh, over time heavily, um, involved and, and invested in educating people about chronic kidney disease and about my efforts, uh, with Brian and my team, our team to educate ourselves and educate others about, uh, you know, my story and stem cell treatment and all this stuff. So go to gobymore.co. Uh, you can easily, you know, find content information there, submit inquiries there. But I think that's a great place to just stay in touch with me, uh, because I'm spending so much time developing this brand, uh, for the purposes of furthering my story, my message and my efforts to help the kidney community and to be a champion for finding long-term viable alternative solutions to, uh, fighting chronic kidney disease. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a shameless plug, but it's actually a big part of why I decided well, to invest into go be more in the first place and building this company with you, Brian, because people need to know what we're doing. And that's the more support that we have with what we're doing with go be more, the better I can and more effective I can be with, you know, really getting my message out there, my story out there and fighting for uh, more f- funding to go towards re- stem cell research for tr- for yeah. treatments for kidney, kidney disease. So I want everybody to go to gobymore.co. I want everybody to subscribe to our newsletter, pay attention to what we're doing. This is my story. This is my life. This is a big part of who I am. And I failed miserably at being able to uh, figure out how to talk about this uh, when I was first diagnosed. I'm not going to make that mistake. And I'm going to use this platform that we're developing to, to be a champion of and to be an advocate for so many stories like mine. And we're going to bring other people on to the Go Be More podcast and start telling more kidney uh, survivor and kidney transplant survivor stories because um, it means so much to me. And Go Be More is going to have a lot to do with how I'm able to, with my business partner's help, with Brian and, 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 and our team's uh, efforts to contribute in a significant way uh, over time to the, the kidney community and and again finding a real some real solutions here and and, and at least making progress and contributing to that so gobymore.co if you want to actually email me directly uh, just email me at john j-o-n at gobymore.co uh, anytime follow us on instagram that's always a great place to see a lot of stuff I've, i have a plan a lot of new content planned talking about my story and uh, both on gobymore at gobymore.co and at chase john rankin uh on instagram so um disconnect with me find me you'll find me on, on the internet i'm not not too hard to find but gobymore.co is definitely going to be the best place to go because you'll get a lot of a lot out of that out of, out of what we're doing not just being able to reach out to me but to actually be inspired by the work that we're doing to help keep you going as you fight this fight John, thank you for sharing the story. Uh, we will follow up at some point in a future episode, I'm sure, on some of this stuff if further events unfold from it. But it's kind of overdue for us to to do this on the podcast. And I'm glad that you're feeling at a place where you're able to just really 
dive into it and share it. I do hope that people reach out to you and I do hope that this starts more conversations and I'm with you on this. Let's, let's make a positive difference. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon, John. Thanks. Thank you all for tuning in. You can find links to any articles or items we referenced in the show notes. Please subscribe and be sure to give us a rating. And remember to tell a friend about the show. The Gobi Moore podcast is produced by Gobi Moore Apparel. Check us out at gobimore.co. For all of us at Gobi Moore, we are what the world is chasing, and we hope this podcast helps you become what the world is chasing too.